Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. Henrik is the executive director of Sisters in Crime, and I am very, very happy to be having a conversation today with Mia P. Manansala. Mia is a certified book coach and the author of Arsenic and Adobo, the first in the Tita Rosie's Kitchen Mystery Series by Berkeley. She uses humor and murder to explore aspects of the Filipino diaspora, queerness, and her millennial love for pop culture, which I look forward to talking about. She's the winner of the 2018 Hugh Holton Award, the 2018 Eleanor Taylor Bland Crime Fiction Writers of Color Award, the 2017 William F. Deke Malice Domestic Grant for Unpublished Writers, and the 2016 Mystery Writers of America Helen McCoy Scholarship. She's also a 2017 Pitch Wars alum and in 2018 to 2020 was a mentor for Pitch Wars. And we're going to talk about Pitch Wars again because I think that these are such great conversations to have for people about writing journeys and opportunities. But first of all, let me just say thank you for being on the podcast and congratulations on uh, the publication of your debut. As we're recording this, it's May 2021. All right. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Julie. I love talking about my writing journey because, you know, uh, when you read out that bio, it sounds like so exciting. Like, oh, look at all these awards she won. But you realize I won my first writing award in 2016 and I'm just now getting published in 2021. So I love being able to talk about my journey to kind of show writers that, you know, even if it takes a while, uh, you can get there. there. There's no such thing as a straight journey for anyone. Every writer's journey is different. And this probably works with your book coaching as well, but we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Right now, let's just talk about your journey in general. You're right. It sounds like, oh, look, she won all these awards and then um, boom. But what? when did you first say to yourself, I want to write a novel? Uh, like, like seriously, not just like, oh, I enjoy writing, but this is something I want to do. I would yeah. say 2015. Um, and I can remember <laughs> that exactly because it was the I had spent about three and a half years teaching English abroad in a small town in South Korea. Uh, I came home in 2014, and then a year later, I kind of felt like I was in a rut. You know, I had just I had had all yeah. this adventure, and I was living at home with my parents, doing the same thing, working the same job, and it felt like nothing had changed. So I remembered how much I had loved writing when I was younger. Um, I kind of gave it up when I went to college. So even though I was an English major, that's more, you know, academic writing as opposed to Mm -hmm. creative writing. I had never taken a creative writing class in my life. Um, But I didn't know how to to go about it. Anything I had started, I just could never finish. So I thought maybe I should try taking a class. Um, So I literally just Googled Chicago writing class uh, because I didn't know where to start. (laughs) And I found a one day mystery writing workshop that was being taught by someone named Lori Rader Day. I don't know if you've ever heard of her. (laughs) Gee, never heard of her. (laughs) Um, But at the time, like, you know, to be completely honest, I didn't think I would be a mystery writer, even though mysteries were one of maybe my, my one of my favorite things to read. I always thought maybe I would be a kid lit writer or a fantasy writer since those are the things I gravitated to when I was younger. Uh, And those are like the kind of ideas that I had. But I was like, okay, this is a one day class. It was affordable. I did really love mysteries. Why not give it a try is what I thought. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I was there uh, during one of the exercises, I kind of came up with the idea for what would be my first novel. Not my first published novel, but the first the first thing I wrote that I would actually write to completion. Um, And Lori had looked at what I was working on and, and, you know, and she asked me, like, have you done this before? And I was like, no. And she was like, I think you might be a mystery writer. Um, This is a really cool idea. I I hope you continue it. 
Um, and at the time, she was the president of the Mystery Writers of America Midwest chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was also, of course, a member of Sisters in Crime Chicagoland. And she was like, hey, you know, I'm part of these organizations. We have free meetings open to the public. Why don't you check it out? Um, and at the time, I was like, okay, yeah, sure, whatever. Um, but then I found out they were meeting literally one mile away from my house, like walking distance because I don't drive. <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, <laughs> it would feel silly to not to not at least give it a shot. And, and that's yeah. kind of how it all started. Um, it was thanks to, to Lori, who, you know, kind of was just like, uh, you know, didn't really take no and was always kind of helping me out and with my journey and telling me about opportunities. And then... Um, Later on, I'll talk a little bit more about Kelly Garrett, who became my mentor and also kind of pushed me along when it felt like maybe I would never quite get there. But that's how, literally how it started. A very lucky Google search and a very kind teacher who was very encouraging. And so was that original manuscript you were working on what ultimately became your series or was did, did you sort of start out? You know, because first books are frequently how you learn how to write a book. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Was it a different uh, genre? So, or you know, was it more thrillery or suspense, or or did you always work in this this medium, which is traditional slash cozy that you're writing in now? So the first one that I completed, it it was still traditional because it was an amateur sleuth, but it definitely wasn't cozy. It was um, the premise was a murder mystery at a comic book convention. Um, Mm. so like it did, you know, it was still amateur sleuth. It still leaned into the humor, but they were still, but there were definitely darker, possibly even more risque, shall we say, themes in it. Um, which was its strength and its weakness as, you know, it got me some awards. It got me my first agent. Um, but ultimately publishers thought they, it wasn't marketable. They didn't know how to sell it to people because it didn't quite fit in to any one niche that they were that they were aware of at the time. So it's interesting in, in these conversations I'm having with folks, we talk about the writing journey and the publishing journey and how they're separate journeys. Mm. You know, you can't you can't equate success in your publishing journey to how good you are as a writer all the time because it's it's one's the business, one's your your craft. Um, did you you didn't tell yourself or get stubborn about that initial book and say, well, I, I don't care if you can't sell it. I'm, I'm still going to keep doing it. Did you then pivot to, okay, what can I sell? Or did you, um, you know, how did you make the, the churns that you've made? So I didn't consciously set out to write a more marketable book the second time around. So what had happened was um, with the first book, it, it that's the, the early chapters are what won me the Malice Domestic Grant, as you mentioned earlier. Um, it is what got me into the mentorship program Pitch Wars, which is how I'm connected to Kelly Garrett. Um, it got me my first agent. And then it was on submission for a year and a half. Um, yeah. And it actually got to acquisitions about, about like two or three times. Um, and for, for listeners who are unfamiliar, there's always another yes you have to get. Right? First, you have to finish the novel. Then you have to get an agent. Then you have to find an editor. And then that editor has to take that final step of of pitching it to the sales team, basically, uh, to, to convince them that, yes, you are a good investment and that they want to publish your book. So my book more than once made it to that very last step. Um, and then that's where the business aspect came in. Of when, yes, we love this story, but we can't sell it. And so, as Julie said, definitely those are two separate things. You can be a good writer and still have tr- uh, tr- trouble getting published. So, like, don't outside validation is not always the way to go. Um, so while that was going on, because it was so long, it was a year and a half. Yeah, some of the best advice I got was work on the next thing. You cannot control what happens in publishing, but you can control your own writing. So get to work on the next thing. Um, and so the idea for this book and in this series um, came about kind of like I was joking with Kelly, because I love cozy mysteries. It's one of my favorite genres. It's my mom's favorite genre. We read a ton. Um, but something we notice in contemporary cozies is that some of them follow like rom-com tropes. Um, mm-hmm. You know, almost always a woman, usually from a small town, almost always some sort of failed romance, family business, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, we just made the joke that they're rom-coms with dead bodies. 
And <laughs> one day I was on the train on my way to work. And the first line of what became Arsenic and Dobo popped into my head, just fully formed, like character name and everything, um, which is my name is Lala Makapagal and my life has become a rom-com cliche. And so I pulled out my phone because I was like, oh, this is like, I think for a lot of people, especially with their first book, like a big worry is like, do I have another in me? You know, especially mm -hmm. someone like me who took so long and had so much trouble finishing. I was like, oh, I did it. I finished something. But can I do that again? And can I do that again? Right. So when this idea came, I was so excited. And um, and knowing that working on the next thing would help me help take my mind off the submission hell, I, I you know, I got to work on it. Like just right there, just writing notes in my phone on the train on the way to work. And uh, I love that she popped into your brain, you know, fully formed or, or, or as if she could be, mm -hmm. is that, you know, is that part of your process? Do you usually have an idea that, that comes together or, or that tickles your brain after a while? I mean, you, were, had you been thinking about this and then she popped in or were you surprised? I mean, I, I always knew that I would want to tackle a cozy because, as I said, it's it's probably the subgenre that I read the most, at least at least within the last few years. Um, and I always knew it would be food based because food is my favorite thing, and culinary cozies <laughs> are my favorite, you know, like sub subgenre. You know, of my um, like my mom's like, if there's no food, there's no point. Like she's not interested in knitting. She's not interested <laughs> in you know. She's like she wants the food aspect. So uh, we're very similar in that way. So in a way, like I kind of knew that was something that I wanted, but I, and I kind of knew it would, the protagonist would be Filipino American like me, but mm -hmm. I didn't have the story. I didn't know who the characters were going to be until that line popped into my head. And then the first, you know, the, the initial way into it became easier. Um, it's not always the same. So with my first book, the idea came first and the character later, I created a character that I felt would fit that world. This was, they were almost hand in hand. Like the character kind of just told me who she was and gave me a general idea of what the story would be. So the creative process is interesting. <laughs> it is, it is. And cozies are, uh, are character driven. I mean, they're mm -hmm. mysteries, but, but the characters are somebody who, readers want to visit and they mm -hmm. want to, they want to get to know them. And, you know, you, you write two or three in a series and hopefully more. And, um, so you had, you have to world build in order mm -hmm. to, to make a series work. How is that process for you? So it's strange because I find world building really fun, especially because I purposely chose a fictional town. Again, one, I wanted, I knew it had to be a small town, um, just because I wanted to fit with the, the rom-com trope that I was playing with. Mm -hmm. um, but I was born and raised in Chicago. I don't know what small town life is like. <laughs> so I wanted to create my own. I didn't want to be limited by the geography. Um, I didn't want to be that person where someone like is reading and she's like, oh, that doesn't make any sense. You could never travel, you know, that quickly or, or those streets don't even intersect. You know, I wanted to be ha have the, be able to create what I needed um, geographically. But I'm also not super great at writing descriptions. Um, <laughs> descriptions are often the last thing I, I add to a manuscript. You know, in fact, um, when I was first drafting uh, and planning out this world, um, I have a, I had a, like a local like critique group uh, who read an early version. And one of them was just like, oh, this is like the, and she said like the characters are really fun. I like this premise, but it feels like everything is taking place in a void. And she's like, I don't know what this place looks like. You keep saying small town. Like, what does that mean? Like, what are, what would that population be like? What are some of the features? You know, there's more restaurants than just that one. Like, what, what, what are the people like? And I was like, oh, right. Because yeah. in Cozies, <laughs> I said they're character driven, but they're also worlds that people want Absolutely. to visit and live in. And you have to take care. And they're, they're pretty much their own character as well. So yeah, learning how to not just build like in my head, but how to describe it and kind of make it fun. Like that, that's been a learning process. Well, and it exists in your head. So you, <laughs> you know, but you, <laughs> you need to tell the readers so that they know as well. Mm -hmm. um, and part of writing a, a 
culinary cozy for folks who don't know is you need to include recipes and you sort of have to invent or put your own twist on them. How, you know, it sounds like your, your mom is part of your (laughs) um, support system where she's, I'm sure she's beyond thrilled um, that you're a published author now, but how, how did the recipes come, come to play? So for me, even though my mom was the one that got me into cozies, my, my father was the one who got me into food. Um, he's the cook in the family. My mom, bless her, <laughs> is, 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 not, is not a chef, shall we say. Um, and so he was a great cook. So what I know of Filipino food is all thanks to him. And with the character of Tita Rosie, uh, Tita means aunt in Tagalog. So it's, mm-hmm. it's not part of her name. It, it's her title. Um, Uh, So she's a character who is not outwardly affectionate necessarily. Like she's very kind and warm, but she, uh, the words like I love you are not things that are said in this family. Uh, They're not really huggers or anything like that, but she shows her love through the food and the care and the service that she gives. Um, Mm -hmm. And my father was the same way. So I wanted to be able to show, uh, I I, I wanted it to be a really important character trait. Um, because uh, uh, unfortunately, he passed away before um, uh, the book deal went through, and and he also didn't leave behind any recipes because he was very much an old school cook. You know, measuring was not a thing, um, so I had to kind of research on my own and then tweak the recipes the way I remember them tasting. Um, because for me, wow. I think for like a lot of a lot of households, particularly immigrant households the best version is the one that you grew up with. So I'm sure there are many places that technically make better adobo or whatever than my dad did. But for me, his will always be the best version. So I try the more traditional recipes that I include in the book are, are, are tailored to how I remember his tasting. Um, but the character of Lila likes doing these Filipino American hybrid desserts um, in contrast with her more traditional family. So I was thinking, what are like some traditional Filipino ingredients I can take and meld them with what we would think of as like American style desserts? So like the ube crinkles, you know, usually they're chocolate crinkle cookies, but I took this purple yam that we use in a lot of our desserts to make like a fun twist, you know, things like that. That's so great. It sounds like you were your own detective in trying to figure out how your dad's recipes tasted that way. I mean, that's a wonderful thing to explore, but it also, you must have had moments where you're like, oh, please just tell me, is it a teaspoon or (laughs) what if you added something else to this? What did you add? Yeah. All the time, you know, because he was like, I would ask him for recipes and he would like list ingredients, but like not how much you know if I said like soy sauce he'd be like oh about this much you know and then he's like taste figure it out you know and adjust I'm like that doesn't work in a recipe that I'm printing you know like I can't (laughs) so yeah so there were some adjustments that had to be made well, as you're on this journey, uh, you mentioned Pitch Wars a couple of times and, uh, and Kelly Garrett, mm-hmm. and so we, sh- we should definitely give her a shout out. But can you tell folks about Pitch Wars? Because it's, it's an extraordinary thing, and, and I want to make sure everybody knows about it. Sure. It's, it's kind of a contest in some ways, but it's, it's essentially a mentorship program where for a certain period of time each year, you can apply to work with uh, a mentor in your field. And the, the mentors are all people who are agented and or published and or are publishing professionals. So we've had some like assistant agents and things like that who do mentoring as well. And part of the program, a big part of it is getting you ready for the traditional publishing industry. So you apply to be mentored the same way you would query an agent. So you need a finished manuscript you need a query letter, you need a full synopsis. And then um, the mentors are different each year. So like, obviously some of us like roll over cause we can, we, you know, I love the community. I believe in paying it forward. Mm-hmm. So I, I stick with it. Um, and so like you look at the listed mentors, the kind of um, books that they take because it's separated by age category. So you can apply to be middle grade, YA or adult. Mm-hmm. And then obviously there's a wide range of genres that are represented. So you apply to the mentor you think best suits you and your manuscript and, and the style that you need. Again, just the way like you get you don't just, you know, if you have a YA, you don't um, uh, query like a, an adult only agent. Right. So if for, it teaches you to research 
the way it, you would when you're when you're preparing a query. Um, so then, if you are chosen, you enter the the mentoring part, which is usually it, it varies from year to year, roughly three month revision period, where your mentor or mentor team, I, I, I mentor with Kelly Garrett, so we're a team. Um, sends you an edit letter the way you would if you had uh, an editor and a publisher. And then it varies from there. Some people are very hands-on. We are where we kind of help you. We like, uh, we help you plot. We, um, kind of cheer you on and check in on you throughout the time. Mm -hmm. So, but you are guaranteed an edit letter and then a second kind of read through at the end and then help preparing your pitch. And at the end, there's something called agent showcase where you have a short pitch, uh, a sample page and agents can request that you send things. So it's not, you know, instead of querying, right? It's just, it's like an addition to it. It mm -hmm. moves you faster up the pile, but it doesn't guarantee anything. It's great. It's, I mean, and was Kelly your mentor when you were doing it? Yep. Back in 2017, she was my mentor. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, and that's, that whole journey is a gift because it teaches you about the business side, mm -hmm. which is something that people get intimidated by, or they don't understand, or they're, they're not fully prepared. So they're not putting their best foot forward. Mm -hmm. It feels I, I, from what I understand, pitch wars really helps people put their best foot forward. Yes. Yes. Because, you know, unfortunately the publishing industry is just so opaque and a lot of times you don't know what you don't know. Um, you know, when I started, I didn't even know what a query letter was. <laughs> so I was like, Oh, yeah. that's how you get an agent. I didn't even know how you got an agent or how you found them. Um, so things like that, that really prepare you and try to set you up, um, with the correct expectations. Again, you mm -hmm. said putting your best foot forward because you sometimes only have that one chance and you want to send out the best manuscript you can. And right. even if you don't get an agent from this round, you walk out of it with a stronger manuscript and skills and tools that you can use to apply to your, the next book you work on. Like I did, right? My first book, my pitch wars book didn't get picked up. But my second one did because I had all this knowledge and experience I could then apply. And so when you were, um, when you were thinking about the shifting from your first book while I was out on sub into your second book, were you enthusiastically like excited about the, the whole, did it feel like it was going to come together or were you just sort of going on faith that I'm going to, I'm just going to try this one more time to see what happens with this book? Honestly, with this particular one, there was a part that there was a part when, when I reached a certain part, I was like, I think this is going to be really good. Um, yeah. And it, it was, it's different enough, but at the same time, I could almost sense how my writing had improved, um, mm -hmm. since I had first started, um, even though, you know, it had been a couple of years, um, since I originally started, I started this book in 2018. And after the first few chapters, like really came together and like when I showed it to, to beta readers and they were very enthusiastic, um, and constructive, which is how I know it was, you know, it, it was realistic. I was like, I think maybe, if nothing happens, I think this is the one. Uh, like I, I was very gentle because I knew the first one would be a hard sell because even though the structure and the trappings was very traditional mystery, the character and the world wasn't. At least it wasn't at the time right. that I was doing it. This one had that, you know, that feeling that published, they, they, everyone said like, oh, they want the same but different. And I felt like that's what this was. Like you, it's it's so definitely a cozy, but it, it did have my own my own spin and my own perspective. And I felt like it was just enough to be able to stand out. Um, so after the initial like, oh well, I guess I need to start something new. <laughs> I, I did get really excited after the first couple of chapters. Well, and your book and this series uh, is it feels like it's a moment in publishing because there are a few uh, cozy series coming out right now that definitely have a, a millennial 
bent to them mm-hmm. or or target audience in trying to I don't know if it's trying to develop new audiences mm-hmm. I don't know if it's expanding but that's exciting too that it's you you you're writing in a very traditional um you know cozies have been around forever mm-hmm. but you're also making it different. I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, you're broadening what a cozy is. How do you feel? Do you feel that is true or am I off base with that? No, I, I would definitely agree. Um, one of the reasons I, I'm, I'm, I really love my, my publisher Berkeley so much is because they, they are very seriously um, targeting, like you said, like millennial audiences, like, like me. And so, you know, I'm at the slightly older end of millennial, but I'm definitely a millennial. My character is 25 years old. So she's kind of at the younger end. So we kind of span that. And I think they realized that cozies are something that could be widely loved or uh, that would appeal to a broad audience if marketed a particular way and more inclusive and diverse because you know, my generation and generations younger, not just expect, but kind of demand better representation than we've been afforded in the past. And as much as I love the genre, I wouldn't be writing in this genre if I didn't enjoy it so much. It hasn't been as inclusive as I would have liked um, until the last couple of years. So, you know, like Vivian Chen's Noodle Shop series, excellent. You know, VM yeah. Burns. So, th- you know, it's there but it's only been within the last, what, five years, maybe. Um, So getting better, but it it needs help still. (laughs) Well, and there were, there were, Definitely authors in the past, I mean, Eleanor Taylor Bland being yes. one of them, who wrote these series. But now, as you said, it's almost, there's a wave behind it. There's momentum mm-hmm. behind it. It's not uh, solo uh, books, but it's actually a wave of books that are pushing the mm-hmm. genre forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, it's not just... And it's not just getting published, but it's staying published. It's getting the marketing yeah. push that it deserves, right? Because Eleanor Taylor yeah. Bland her books are out of print, you know, and I she was know. a huge, you know, same thing with, um, oh geez, what's, Barbara Neely, who was, you know, a grandmaster trying to find her books as well. So, you know, it's not enough to say like, oh, we published it, we did a thing, but it's like, well, are you putting any money behind it? Are you, are you yeah. marketing it to the mainstream the way you are with these other authors? Are you trying to retain these authors? Because, you know, one or two books and you can say, oh, sorry, your sales weren't good. We're not renewing your contract. That's not helping anybody, you know? So one of the things I've been so happy with is that I feel like Berkeley has been very supportive of me. Um, and and that, that will hopefully, you know, build a brand and, and lead to longevity because it's writing is a marathon. <laughs> it doesn't stop at just that one book. No, it doesn't. And, and you brought up a really important point and it's that staying published is in many ways more difficult than getting published Mm -hmm. and getting published is still difficult Mm -hmm. because you're trying to build a career. Yes. And you're on a roller coaster where you don't really know where the twists and turns are. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. So, um, talking about publishing because it is different than the writing journey. You obviously from pitch wars and from how you, you, sort of kept moving yourself forward and um, getting the William Deke award and things, you understood that there was a business side mm-hmm. and that you were going to build some momentum going forward. Has publishing your journey been what you expected or has it been different? I think because I made a point early on to build a writing community Mm-hmm. So not just people who were, you know, unpublished like me, but also a little bit ahead and a little bit behind. I was prepared for things to not work out, you know, immediately, obviously. I was prepared for things to take a long time. I was prepared. I mean, can, are you ever really prepared for rejections? But like, logically, I yeah. knew that there would be rejections. Um, so I think I'm luckier than a lot in that... Because I took the time, because people in crime fiction have just been so kind to me, um, I I knew what to expect. Um, I knew, especially because I'm lucky enough to have, you know, friends who are, you know, crime writers of color, um, some of the barriers that might be there. um, 
and some of the, but also some of the opportunities that were open because of that. So, you know, it, it's, if I could give like one big piece of advice, it's, it's build that community and don't wait until you have a finished manuscript or you have a book deal or, or you know, the earlier you start, I feel like the easier it'll be for you because writing is so hard and it's just so easy to give up if you don't have those cheerleaders or that support or even that knowledge of, of what is typical. Um, especially if you only know of writers like through social media where you only get the highlights, right? Where it seems like everyone's an overnight success and everyone is, uh, you know, a New York Times bestseller and everyone's doing so. That's not how it is. Um, so building that community really sets your expectations, I think. And I think frequently writers think it's going to be a solo activity and they don't understand that importance of that community mm -hmm. uh, and how it can really support you. I mean, Sisters in Crime is one way to build your community mm -hmm. and to meet people, but there are other ways of doing it as well. And it does make all the difference in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even just have, you know, beta readers, critique partners, other eyes on your work. You know, I never would have gotten published without outside because, you know, as I was saying earlier and the way you said earlier, all these ideas, we see it in our head so clearly, but whether or not we're conveying them correctly on the page, it's hard to tell without those outside eyes, you know? Yeah. So maybe you're lucky and you, you, you're just, you're just genuinely good enough to have gotten that agent and that publishing deal without outside eyes. But then now you're entering into an editor relationship and you're receiving feedback on your, and critique on your work for the very first time. That's rough. Even when you know <laughs> that the other person is right, <laughs> it, it can still, it still makes you a little defensive, you know? So I feel like having that early practice kind of builds that, that thicker skin you'll need to make it in publishing. And thinking strategically as, as far as all that goes as well. Mm -hmm. One of the things that you do is that you're a certified book coach. And I wanted to talk about that because, uh, I think that this is fascinating and something people don't understand of the, the different ways there's help along the way mm -hmm. for you. Um, so can you talk a little bit about what a book, book coach does? Sure. So I like to think of myself as like, you know, an extremely hands-on developmental editor. Um, you know, I'm basically like, I'm, I'm a consultant, I'm a developmental editor, I'm a cheerleader, I'm an accountability buddy. Um, and I offer different services, but in general, the way that a book coach would differ from, uh, say a freelance editor is that an editor would read your manuscript, however many pages you submitted, um, maybe make inline, uh, comments depending on what kind of, what, what kind of payment you're doing and then give you an edit letter with their feedback. Usually one to four pages are, are the most common, sometimes more or less, depending on how much they're reading. And then they would give you their feedback and maybe you would get a call and that's about it. They're just like, here's my feedback. Good luck implementing it. Whereas me as a coach, I give you that edit letter. I get in that call and then I implement next steps. I work through the revision with you. So I help you, you know, if you are someone with a fully completed manuscript, I give you exercises that lets you look at it on a macro level as a whole to see where the, where where maybe it's sagging or whether maybe there are plot holes or or you know or things like that and then I give you deadlines and you'll send me those revised pages and we work on them together. Um, if you are someone who you know early on like me you wrote 20 pages, 50 pages and then got stuck and didn't know where to go, I have a set of exercises that can push you to the end to, to get you to, to, to a finished manuscript. Um, I also do, you know, if you feel like you're all ready and you are ready to query, but you need a little help, you don't know, is this query mm -hmm. good? How do I research agents? How do I do? I also have packages for that. So there, depending where you are in your journey and what it's needed, I, I tailor things specifically for you. And that's another way that it's different because, um, then just like a regular critique group, um, like, Critique groups are great, but at the same time, you have to move at the pace of the whole group. You are not the main focus. Um, right. Whereas, you know, a coach client, you know, it's it's exercises tailored to you, feedback tailored to you, and you know, 
as much attention as, as you kind of need. It's such a great opportunity for people to uh, to work with a coach who haven't done it before because coaches are about forward thinking and goal setting and moving. Mm-hmm. But as you said, it's that accountability and the holistic approach to supporting the writer um, that makes it stand out as for book coaches as opposed to, you know, a, a, a copy editor or other things that people can use, which also have their roles for mm-hmm. sure. But you're in it for the long haul. You're in it for the let's set a goal. We're going to meet the goal. This is how we're going to get there. Mm-hmm. And then you're you're the partner on that journey. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like your accountability partner. Um, yeah. And you know, and it's not rigid. So if we set up a plan and we hit a wall for some reason and we talk it out and we realize, okay, you know what? If for some reason this is not working for you, let's strategize together about how we can get you where you need to go, right? Because it's never about my vision for the story. It's about how can I make you a better writer? How can I tell, have you tell the best version of your story to get to the end? Uh, Cause you know, I, I have, it, it's, <laughs> it's not my book. Um, so that's another thing. Like I, you know, I'm not the best coach for everyone. So again, just like an agent, try, if you are thinking of hiring a coach, if you can get in a, a call with them, a consultation call, I would suggest it because mm-hmm. everyone has different styles. Everyone has different specialties. Um, not everyone is a great fit. Um, I always, I have a very detailed intake form and I request a sample because I won't take on a client that I don't know how to help. Mm-hmm. Um, there are tons of manuscripts where I'm like, oh, I really like this idea, but I don't know what I can do for you. Or, or there's not mm-hmm. enough value that I can add that I would feel comfortable taking on as a client. And maybe I could refer them somewhere else. Um, because I am also, you know, as a writer, I realize how how precious and how personal these stories can be. And I would, you know, yeah. I'm not going to to prey on or, or take advantage uh, you know, of, of these writers who need for, for help. Well, and that's great advice for anyone who's working with anyone, a, an editor or, you know, if a good, a good editor or a good coach doesn't try and write your book for you, they help you write your book. Mm-hmm. Um, so that if somebody is saying you need to kill this character or, you know, or, or to this, then that's, if it doesn't resonate, then that's not the person for you, as you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so when you're coaching, does that help you as a writer? Do you find yourself saying something to somebody and then, oh, now I can work through my manuscript? I mean, have do you, you know, do you coach yourself? Oh, definitely. There are times, um, well, I always feel like reading widely helps always. And then help mm-hmm. and then being analytical about someone else's work, again, forces me to be analytical about my own. Um, so I'm just like, why is this not working for me? And, oh, maybe I'm doing the same thing in my own work if I'm having trouble because, you know, just because I'm a coach doesn't mean I have all the answers. Um, and, you know, editing skills are different than writing skills. So you can yes. have a very clear editorial vision for someone else's work because you don't have that attachment. You have the distance to be able to look at it logically, analytically, um, and hopefully objectively. Um, whereas with your own work, just because you know what you're supposed to be doing doesn't necessarily mean you catch it all the time. So, you know, coaches have coaches. I, you know, I was, when I was working on my book two outline, early exercises, I was struggling with a certain part. So another book coach and I swapped, um, our outlines and pages and she made one very simple note on something that I was doing that just like blew my mind. And I was like, how did I not see that? No wonder I was having so much trouble writing forward. You know, I was, I was focused on the wrong point. You know, I kept trying, you know, in my head, I was like, my story is about this. And I kept trying to hammer that home. And she's like, you say that, but when I read it, I see this. And I was like, oh, you know, so, <laughs> so that's why reading other people's things can do the same thing for me. I'll see how they're working through it. And as I talk to them, I'm just like, oh, I can also have my own light bulb moment. So yeah. I feel like, again, if, you know, not everyone has the money for a coach, and I fully understand that. So, but getting outside eyes, having a critique group, reading other people's work, um, and it also helps with you know when you're reading a book, that's a finished product that has been through countless revisions right. with professional help. 
when you're in the middle of drafting or you're in the middle of revising and all you can do is compare to these beautiful finished works, it's easy to beat yourself up. But when you see the process and other people, you realize like, oh, there's a lot of work that goes into this and I shouldn't compare. And I think a lot of emerging writers don't understand that process <laughs> and that terrible work is part of that process, right? Oh, yeah. Um, a really terrible first draft doesn't mean you're not a good writer. Mm -hmm. It just means you've got work to do. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Especially for someone like me. I'm a reviser. I am very much like, I need to get this draft done because once there are words on the page, I know I can make them better. <laughs> Whereas other people love the creativity and the free flow of, you know, so there are just different ways. There's no, there's only the way that works for you. Right. Yeah. And are you, when you set out to write a novel, do you plot first or are you a, do you sort of have a rough outline and you go, or do you have no idea and you just, you just start writing? <laughs> I have a, a rough outline. So especially with like my book coach, like even before I, I, I did my book coach training, I, I was like, I was like, I would, I knew the big important things and I would kind of jot those down as a guide. Uh, to, um, because Try, like just diving in with having no idea would get me stuck and I would mm -hmm. end up like, well, I don't know where to go. So I'm going to read back and just revise these earlier things I already have. To, and, and I would get stuck and I'm like, never move forward. So having this guide um, definitely helped me because I'm like, okay, well, I know I need to get to this point. Now I can at least brainstorm. Okay. How do I get to that point? And that gets me moving. Um, mm -hmm. now I have a slight, it's still not, you know, a 13 page outline or anything, but it's, um, I focus not just on the outside plot, but also the character journey. And I tie those two together yeah. in my outline. Cause as you said, cozies are definitely character driven and I prefer character driven stories. Mm -hmm. So thinking ahead of time, who this character is at the start and who I want them to be at the end and then tying that to the plot as opposed to the other way around and like forcing a character to do something mm -hmm. makes things a bit easier for me, especially now that I have deadlines <laughs> as opposed to all the time <laughs> in the world. Well, and you can also, when you're writing a series, not have the whole arc take place in a book. Mm -hmm. You can have a character have a journey in three books mm -hmm. um, because you've got the room to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's an interesting process. So when, if you were to tell an emerging writer mm -hmm. one thing, because again, it took you a while to get there, but <laughs> you, you're having, you know, you're holding your first book in your hand um, and folks can look on YouTube and find a video of you doing that when you opened your box. Um, what would you tell an emerging writer? So earlier I mentioned building a community. I should, I should, let me get a little bit more specific. Find the people who will help you grow and will celebrate you. Um, because I've seen, I've seen two very extreme sides. I've seen the people who are, who are supportive no matter what, and they don't provide the criticism, the constructive criticism that you might need to grow as a person and as a writer, <laughs> you know? Um, and then I've also seen the people who are negative and try to tear you down, who anytime you have you know, you've achieved something big or small, they are jealous. They don't, they're not happy for you. They're just like, oh, why did you get that instead of me? And that can also tear you down in different ways. You That's want right. the people who are there to celebrate your wins, but also call you out or, or point out the things that need work because you need the support to keep you going forward, but you also need to keep growing. Um, again, as a person and as a writer, and I, and even if it's just one person, that person is valuable and make sure you appreciate them, um, because they'll help you go far. That's great advice. That's great advice. Um, and meeting other writers, mm -hmm. uh, so that they know exactly what, 
not exactly what you're going through, but they understand what the journey is, is also super helpful. Yes, because, you know, while your family may love you and support you, trying to talk to them about your publishing woes <laughs> and they don't get it. Um, my friend has a funny story about how they got a starred review in Publishers Weekly. And then their husband was like, oh, no, only one star. I'm so sorry. And then she's like, no, 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 a starred review. That, that's, that means it's a great thing. And they're like... <laughs> oh, okay, cool. I just, yeah, I wanted to be supportive and I didn't know what that meant, <laughs> you, you know, but at least that was like a fun, like she was happy and they were trying yeah. to be like consoling. I've seen, you know, the opposite where they have a big thing to celebrate and the people in their life are like, okay, whatever. Like it means nothing yeah. to them because they don't realize how hard one it is. So yeah. having people who truly get it <laughs> is so, so wonderful. And as you said, now you've got deadlines. So mm -hmm. you've got a couple more books that you're writing. And uh, this book just came out. The next one will be out in 2022, I'm assuming. Yeah, February 2022. Um, which is exciting, but it's also promoting and writing and doing all that <laughs> at the same time as well, right? Yep, promoing book one. I just got the edit letter for book two about on last Friday. And I also have to draft book three. There you go. It's 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 an it's a wonderful journey, but it's an ongoing journey. Oh yes. <laughs> oh, sorry. One last thing, just because I feel like this is super important uh, for emerging writers, uh, and I'm very honest about it. I'm on my second agent, and I feel like again, if I hadn't had the community that I had before, when I split up with my first agent, it would have been very easy for me to spiral. Um, and possibly even give up because it's so hard even just getting that first yes. But I want you to know it doesn't end there. And it is very common to have to have, you know, a second agent, maybe even a third because it's a tough field. Um, so it's not a question on you. It's is this person the right fit for you in your career? <laughs> so let's let's talk about that a little bit more. Um, mm -hmm. Let's talk about agents and let's mm -hmm. talk about something you mentioned earlier, which is it's a relationship. Mm -hmm. It's a business relationship. And so you may need to make a change at some point if, if the relationship isn't working the way you wanted it to. Mm -hmm. That's a really hard thing to be able to do or to think about. Now, did you change agents when you, the first book between the first book and the, the book that just got published? Yes. So uh, as I said, again, I, I, you know, it, it was, it was tough, but I like to be very honest because I know there will be other writers in this position and I don't want them to feel alone. Um, that first book was on sub for about a year and a half. It didn't sell. And in that time I wrote my second book, which became Arsenic and Adobo. When I finished that draft, I, I gave it to my then agent and she didn't like it. And she was very honest with me about where she thought my, my careers and my talents lay. Um, she told me that she loved the first book that I wrote, but she couldn't sell it. This book was clearly like objectively better written and more marketable, but she didn't love it. And I should be with someone who did because they would be a better champion for, for my writing and my mm -hmm. career in general than she could be. And, you know, not the easiest thing to hear, but it, at that point in our relationship, I realized she was right. Um, over that year and a half, you know, what I thought I wanted and, and the realities of, of being in the industry, I realized there were different things that I needed. And she also recognized that. So we amicably split. And, you know, again, I, I, only, I very much respect her and appreciate her honesty because I'm very mm -hmm. happy with my, my current agent now. And, um, it was the right decision for both of us, honestly. Yeah. Because your agent needs to be able to champion you. That's a great phrase. Mm -hmm. Uh, and because they're, they're taking your work and they're pitching it to editors. Mm -hmm. And if they're not a hundred percent behind it, then it's not gonna, the, the energy is not going to be there and you need to have that energy there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know, cause there are some agents where, you know, like it's a business and they'll take it, they won't care about it and they can sell it, but it's, it, it that passion won't be there. And I think maybe, you know, some people will be able to tell and, you know, and especially for someone like me, who's just starting out, um, I, I belong to various, shall we say like marginalized underrepresented, um, uh, identities, 
Mm-hmm. I need someone who I know will fight for me um, mm-hmm. and who believes in me because that, that's, that's what I need here. Like I need a business partner who also believes in my writing. Um, so again, knowing what it is that you want um, because what I want might not be what you want. So being very clear and honest with what you want and need in an agent and what that agent is willing to give you is very important. And another important thing that you said that I just want to amplify is that your your agent is representing your work, but they're also representing you as a writer mm-hmm. and who you are as a writer. And they need to be a champion of that as well. Mm-hmm. Yes, very yeah. much so. That's that's very generous um, <laughs> advice and a conversation that I, I think it's important to have. You know, again, this is a roller coaster ride, and mm-hmm. um, you, it's that's it's just what it is. We're in a you know, it's a creative journey in so many <laughs> ways that intersects with a business, and you just you know you're figuring it out but it sounds like you have figured it out Um, i mean hopefully (laughs) fingers crossed (laughs) so huge congratulations on uh the success of arsenic and adobo and the the launching i mean that first book launch is a important important part of a writer's career and you've been doing it really well Um, (laughs) so congratulations on that thank you and uh and looking forward to the next book yeah, thanks so much, Julie. I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to talk with me today. This was fun. This is uh, hopefully uh, I, I passed on some useful useful information. Absolutely, absolutely. In the in the show notes, I will put some links to Pitch Wars and to other things so that we can make sure that people um, have all those resources as well. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international, inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast.